Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, we'll review a topic of interest from this year, just past the year 2023. That is the Canadian Trucker Convoy, the Freedom Convoy, that was an example of citizens standing against leftism, as eventually must be done, since leftism is tyranny. I interviewed Tamara Leach, one of the organizers of that great event, on Core Principles earlier this year. She had written a book about the important defense of liberty against the evil leftist Justin Trudeau called Hold the Line. She's now on trial for no reason other than the fact that leftists hate all that is good and true. The charge the leftists in Trudeau's government levied against her is mischief. What a joke. But I recently came across some observations made by a Canadian whom I credit for the information and observations, but I cannot credit by name because they were offered anonymously. He says this, The truckers won. There's a misperception from people who don't follow Canadian politics that somehow the trucker convoy was destroyed. On the contrary, the Freedom Convoy was the most immediately successful protest in Canadian history and perhaps in world history. People remember Trudeau's crackdown. People remember old ladies having their skulls cracked with batons. People remember disabled indigenous grandmothers trampled by police horses and bank accounts frozen and public employees investigated for mere donations. And there's a big reason people remember these things. It was dramatic and tyrannical, and the media and the regime certainly wanted you to think Resistance was futile. But what people don't remember as much is what happened in the immediate aftermath of the Freedom Convoy. The government of Canada caved on everything. Within a week for the most important things, and then a month or so for the rest. First off, there was the massive political shift that happened as the convoy was occurring. Jason Kenney, a pro-lockdown premier of Alberta, which is the most conservative province in Canada, was forced to announce his resignation, and Alberta immediately lifted all of the lockdown impositions. Aaron O'Toole, the pro-lockdown leader of the Federal Conservative Party, was likewise forced to resign. His temporary replacement, Candace Bergen, not to be mistaken with the actress, being a longtime rival opposed to lockdowns, and his main rival, who replaced her after party elections, was Pierre Polivier, the politician Maxime Bernier, who was quickest to embrace the truckers and their cry for freedom. As the convoy was ongoing, Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act, which is the act that replaced the War Measures Act, for invoking essentially martial law. And this grants the government almost unlimited powers. Famously, the War Measures Act was invoked by Trudeau's father to detain Quebecers and raid hundreds of homes without warrants 
during the FLQ separatist crisis of 1972. The catch is while the follow-on emergencies act can be invoked by a prime minister, parliament has to sign off on the act's continued use within one week. Well, skulls were cracked, accounts were frozen, and as the week passed, things came down to the deadline. On the very last night, Trudeau managed to get sign-off without the conservative opposition from the House of Commons, but it had to go to the upper house, the Canadian Senate. Now, the Canadian Senate is a shameful institution. It's like the British House of Lords without nobility. A Senate seat is a lifetime appointment in Canada by the Prime Minister, and that's it. Little to no review, no Democratic input. It's supposed to be equivalent or superior to the House of Commons. Naturally, the go-to use of the Senate is as a spoils system for cronies. If you do some shameful favor for a Prime Minister, if you raise a lot of money for the party, if you're politically connected to a provincial governor, that the Prime Minister wants to buy off, then you might get a Senate seat. One of the longest standing political agreements in Canada is how badly Senate needs to be abolished. But it can't be because Quebec is nominally overrepresented in the Senate, and abolishing it would cause a constitutional crisis. So mostly, the Senate keeps its head down and tries to avoid the news because it will never be sympathetic to Canadians. So, this nursing home for cronies and criminals and fall guys and connected activists, these people whose names haven't been spoken aloud since 1996, this institution that was last in the news 10 years ago for an expense scandal whose essence was, we're paying these leeches expenses? That body was called upon to sign off on the Emergencies Act. And all these self-important losers smelled blood in the water. Did they have some principled stand on civil liberties grounds? Absolutely not. They had a principled objection that they weren't being treated as more important. Sure, they'd consider signing off on Trudeau's abuses, but they wanted an ongoing Senate committee to continuously review these abuses with cabinet-level briefings for the committee members, with regular press conferences, with the inclusion of the forming of a policy they wanted influence. The exact thing that these shameful roaches had been denied ever since their real political careers flamed out in 1992 and they'd been forced to become lost souls in the Senate. The speeches that these delusional septuagenarian nobodies gave. They were barely coherent gibberish from geriatrics convinced they were great statesmen. They were convinced their wisdom might now be included in the great volumes of Canadian oratory next to Laurier, MacDonald, and Deffenbacher. With mere hours left to the deadline and no passage in sight, Trudeau voluntarily withdrew the act. In the preceding week, his finance minister, Christian Friedland, had given press statements and interviews stating effectively that they planned to hunt down everyone who donated to the Freedom Convoy and create an expansive new system of financial control, with hints that it would extend not only to the protesters, 
but, for example, to anyone who didn't take the COVID jab. None of this would happen. Instead, Trudeau weakly tried to claim victory. There were no protesters in Ottawa or on the bridges once he ran them off. But in the week that followed, lockdown measures were quickly and perhaps quietly pulled back. Alberta had already rescinded their measures, and the other provinces were following suit. By June, all domestic restrictions were gone. The regime was desperately afraid that if the protesters were able to shut down the capital and cross-border trade in minus 20 to minus 40 degree weather, what might they do in the summer? Canada Day, which is July 1st, was approaching. Well, by August, this anonymous poster who's giving us this information and perspective on Canadian politics says he had traveled to the United States for a wedding and he had not taken the vaccine. The greater barrier was the risk that the United States would refuse him entry than that Canada would hassle him at this point. The United States border guard didn't even ask. And on his way back to the Canadian border guard, obviously over with this stuff, they said, now because you're unvaccinated, I'm required to tell you, you do technically have to quarantine. And they could possibly call. And if you say you haven't been quarantining, they might do something. This poster reveals that he got one email from public health and immediately deleted it. There was no enforcement, and he traveled again in October. He wasn't even asked about this on his return. Therefore, he concludes that the last of these tyrannical measures had been withdrawn, and the greatest barrier to travel was U.S. border restrictions, which technically only ended in May of 2023. Within a single month, the Freedom Convoy of truckers had effected a hostile overthrow of the governments of Alberta and the official opposition, the Conservative Party of Canada, from pro to anti-lockdown. And they had crushed the moderate wing of the conservative movement. At multiple points, Trudeau was nearly forced out by his own party, and his government was humiliated with most of its perceived power destroyed. And it now exists as one failing to pass gun control bills in Canada against just moderate opposition. Within two to four months of the Freedom Convoy, all of the domestic restrictions were gone, and within eight months, even the pantomime of international restrictions didn't exist. Canada had fewer COVID restrictions than even the United States by that point. Complete consensus had been totally destroyed such that, in less than a year, the new national consensus was the polar opposite. And all the actual action took place within a single month on the coldest days of the year with a movement whose key members had to drive almost 3,000 miles along treacherous northern roads, being greeted roadside by supporters who stood out in minus 40 degree weather to give them coffee, food, and support. This was at once the most logistically challenging protest in human history involving the volunteering of tens of millions of dollars of equipment, weeks of time, tens of thousands of people across a continent, and it might just have been the most successful individual protest in history. 
the most successful violent revolutions have not achieved such total reversals in culture and policy across so many levels as this peaceful demonstration that was the Freedom Convoy. And there is very good reason that the Trudeau regime wants people to think of it as a failure. The same reason that things like Brexit and the Yellow Vests in France or January 6th in the United States or the Dutch Farmers Protest all freaked out the elite so much. The greatest possible threat to them, the elites, is that the mass of suburban and rural middle class, or flyover country if you like, the petite bourgeois, the small business owners, the farmers, the truckers, the kulaks, the greatest possible threat to the regime is that this mass will realize its incredible power, both in coordination, logistics, initiative, and that it will overthrow the governing class of bureaucrats, regulators, lawyers, DEI administrators, and leeches who've gotten rich surviving off their tax cattle who actually work to produce things. These leftists have to play off the truckers as a failure. Trudeau had to declare victory and then cave on everything because they can't let people see what it was, a premonition of citizens claiming their rights. Have a blessed day. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.